0: Toss that rusty old grill into the lake and set the Barker lounger on fire. You have now entered the Dadward spiral. My name is Barack Obama. Oh, that's a joke from a previous podcast. My name is Aaron Pruner. And my name is Eddie Doody. <laughs> and uh, you can find me in, uh, on Twitter at Aaron Flux and Instagram at Aaron W. Pruner and Facebook at that same name. I, I don't know why I changed it from Aaron Flux. Maybe Aaron W. Pruner sounds more official. Um,
1: Eddie, you're just, uh, where are you? Uh, I Man, I don't know. Can you tell uh,
0: I've already been drinking?
1: <laughs> it's all good. No, uh, you can find me at Twitter at Kirby.matrix. You can find me at Twitch at twitch.tv slash zero dork30. Uh, but Twitter is mostly where I, I reside. In terms and uh, of you could find commenting. me.
0: Up in the club with a bottle of bub, right? How, how white did I just sound?
1: Pretty um, white, dude. Not going to lie.
0: <laughs> you can also find this show if you want to follow us on Twitter. I'm Dadward Spiral. I have not created an Instagram yet. Uh, there is a Facebook for the show as well. I'm trying. I have a kid here. Give me a break. It's the pandemic. Uh, shout out to Dragon Wagon Radio for keeping us alive. Because I don't eat food. It's just. Dragon wagon radio supplying my life force, um, Eddie. Yes, sir. <laughs> how how that, are was, you? that
1: was that was maybe our best intro. I just want to I just want to get that on the on Look, record, man.
0: I want to point I want to point something out. I, I'm still technically a journalist, and today I got this press kit in the mail from the History Channel for a new uh, uh, I guess documentary about DB Cooper, and in. The thing was a really cool backpack inside. The backpack was a blanket, a new Ray-Ban wayfarer sunglasses, a bag full of gold chocolate coins and a bottle of maker's mark. And so I'm just, I'm drinking.
1: Sure. If you get, if you get free booze uh, from uh, as part of like of a swag kit, I feel like you're legally obligated to. That's all my booze. I I
0: swear to God, since the pandemic started. All the different studios are just sending alcohol. They're like, fuck it. You know, we yeah. get it.
1: I get it. I uh, My son has a, he's doing, he's literally in the next room working on a project for school that he's had four days to do. So of course, like over half of it is getting done tonight. Um, so he's kind of just doing exactly what I did when I was his age, which is tell my parents that I've been doing some of it every night. And then when my parents finally check, realize I haven't done nearly as much as I said. So now he's he gets to finish that in the other room. So after we're done, when we're done with this, I get to go in and check his little four paragraph essay and make sure he's not going to get like, like I know, here's the thing. We know the grift. Like we yeah. know that. <laughs> we know that in fourth grade, if he if he's like a half day late, on turning in this assignment, it's not going on any permanent record. We understand that, but we also have to instill like a sense of discipline and commitment and, you know, consequences to actions. And so therefore we have to, like, that's what I'm currently struggling with is, is how, how, how hard do I drop the hammer on him tonight? And basically be like, you're sitting in that chair until the shit gets done. Oh God, dude, I versus, did. I was a nerd. like, I, no, I <laughs> I was I mean, a nerd, but I did. didn't no, ADHD I mean, when and I see, so does my kid. Okay, and so like, makes, you know, yeah. like it's, it's so again, and then again, how much of it is like, I get it. It's going to be okay. Don't freak out. Don't right. beat yourself up. Cause he will. So if, I don't have to worry about other kids beating up my kid. I have to worry about my kid beating himself up. Cause he he's more than capable of that is, is he's uh, he actually stands up for himself pretty well. Um, and he's trained a little bit. Like, I mean, he does capoeira. It's not like, <laughs> it's not like he's going to be, you know, taking dudes out in the street or anything, but he he's, he's confident enough to handle himself in like a schoolyard situation, which is doesn't really apply, but I do have to worry about him like being too hard on himself when he doesn't meet his own expectations
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. Well, uh, I'll do my best to not talk your ear off for three hours. Uh, that hasn't happened yet. Who knows what's going to happen in this episode? And speaking of this episode, we have another guest, and he's just waiting, sitting there with his Emmys in the background, staring at us in this kind of ominous-looking shadow. Um, I first met our guest Rory Carp. Is car is it carp or carf? There's an it, f after the p. It
2: rhymes with Barth.
0: Oh, got it. All right, that's good to know. Rory Carf. Um the first time I met Rory, I was uh one of my first times going to the Television Critics Association press tour and my boss was like, "Can you go interview Rick Flair?" And I was like, "Are you fucking serious?" Cuz I was really big into WWE growing up and Rick Flair scared me. Like lit- he was one of those personalities on TV I was frightened of. And so I was immediately nervous because I didn't know what to expect. And he was just the nicest guy. And Rory was the director of his 30 for 30 on ESPN. Mm. And I didn't know what the 30 for 30 documentary was. I don't watch ESPN. I'm not a sports guy, but this brought me in. And um, I have since been a bit intrigued to watch other sports documentaries because of this. So first off, thanks man that you did really good work there and uh i looked you up on imdb and you got some other titles here there's the book of manning there's the coach snoop docu series with snoop dog and most recently uh a project called ufc fight island declassified and i one. guess we'll get into all of that rory carp carf can i just say rory bart no i'm not going to do that Don't welcome do to that. the show rory thanks for having me i appreciate it i i'm going to just keep rambling so just beware
1: it's it's, it's quite all right
0: <laughs> thanks for coming and what what i find funny is uh eddie and i decided to do this i confronted him and i said would you like to do the show with me <laughs> you confronted yeah, I me did. i You're did like, he came it. out of <laughs> came out of the bathroom in his apartment and i was just there um and it turns out we know way too many of the same people from it, like different circles in our lives it's, and when yeah. he mentioned you i was like are you kidding i know him and uh that's sort of why I was like, we have to get him on the show. And you're the first person we've gotten who um, sort of delves into this realm that I am uncomfortable with. Cause it's everything I, 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 that's foreign to me uh, aside from the world of sports. The um, even Eddie has briefly talked about it previously on the show, the world of uh, um, martial arts training or fight training and, And I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about uh, the how, you know, bullying and how we as parents should be dealing with bullying when that comes up and the idea of masculinity in 2020. But before we get to any of that, Rory, how's it going?
2: It's going great. Uh, Thanks for having me. Um, You know, first I want to state that there is a difference between uh, making shows for the UFC and fighting in the UFC. There yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You
0: Thanks for pointing that out.
2: <laughs> and usually the guys that make the shows behind the scenes are the nerds that were getting beaten up in school. So don't, you know, <laughs> you were saying before we started that you weren't athletic growing up. And I wasn't either. I was routinely picked last in school and, just uh, uh, for sports and, and just tonight at dinner, my oldest son, who's 14 and a half, is really excited because he just, uh, you know, made it to five foot three. And, huh. you know, I'm, I'm pretty short myself. I'm currently five foot six. Uh, short guys know how tall they are to the actual inch. So, um, but yeah, I, w- I was not an athlete growing up. By, by any stretch of the imagination. But I think, um, you know, Aaron, you've stated you're not athletic or or, or in the sports or in the fighting, but I think Eddie would agree within all of us, within every single person alive, I think there is a fight. And I think it's just a matter of channeling that. And, you know, I was not athletic growing up, but I started, uh, I went out for the football team my senior year in high school, and I remember the coach telling me that he didn't even know if I was good enough to play on the scout team, which is like the basically all you have to do is just get your ass kicked. And um, but, you know, I showed up, I tried, and I was okay with making myself uncomfortable. And I think that's a big part of it. If you're not an athletic guy are you willing to get a little uncomfortable? And, you know, maybe with you, maybe you're more comfortable writing, you know, that's where you feel or, or, or doing a podcast or do it, whatever it is. But, you know, I think if you, you know, this is true in, a, in any endeavor, if you're willing to make yourself uncomfortable, that's how you grow as a person. So yeah. I kind of try to will myself. into an
0: Yeah. You know, I, I've been thinking a lot about this and about my childhood and about, Certain things I learned or certain uh, things I went through, you know, I've been thinking a lot about bullying over the past uh, year and, and I I watched that movie, the social dilemma. And I'm thinking about Mm. how I'm going to handle stuff like that when my daughter is that age and like what social media is going to be like then. But I think back to, you know, so uh, you've listened to the show. You've heard me talk about the trauma that happened in my family. um, And growing up, I grew up under this sort of, um air of of clinginess that my mom was extremely protective of me because of the loss that she experienced and in the process of that I had no male role models like I didn't know how to ride a bicycle until I was eight years old and I had to teach myself and uh that I got bullied a lot especially at home uh, we lived in a con- uh, technically a condo, but it's like a glorified apartment building. And my neighbor, I'm not going to mention names because I don't know if they listen to the show. Well, If they are, they're going to be pissed off, whatever um, mm-hmm. their dad beat up their mom all the time. Mm-hmm. And they were both beat up by their parents and in turn took that out out on me on a regular basis. And when you talk about there's a fighter and everyone, I took years of that sort of abuse um, to the point where I was afraid to go outside to play. My toys were broken, stolen. At one point, the older kid who ended up going to prison uh, broke into the house and and assaulted me. And I think I was like 12 or 13 at the time. And their parents were pretty much of the mindset of their kids, they'll They'll sort it out without actually giving the messaging that, hey, breaking into someone else's house and punching them in the face is not a good thing but it got to a point where I did snap and I fought back and I never got fucked with again. And it's in like turn, I, I remember guys, hearing remember that.
2: that? What? I'm sorry. I'm interrupting your emotional. Was it like a Christmas story? I always, I always picture Dude, that.
0: I, sw- I I remember what happened. It was a lot of uh, punches to the face and knees to the groin. Like I snapped on this kid and he went inside crying and then his dad, who was a probation officer, beat the shit out of him for letting a a, a mm-hmm. pussy like me fight him. And I heard him say that out loud because he was screaming at him and beating him up. But I never got I never got fucked with again. And there was something about that moment where I was like, oh, like uh, it was the first time I ever stood up for myself. And there's something empowering about that, but also kind of scared me because growing up, I was constantly. There was this message constantly put in my head of you know you you want to avoid confrontation because you don't want to be like your father, even though I never met my dad. It was this like lorded over uh big warning of you can't be like your dad, your dad was violent, your dad was a drug addict, your dad was an alcoholic, all this stuff, which is was you' know, when you're constantly being told that and then you're afraid of confrontation that leads to. Antisocial, depressed, suicidal behavior because you then have a hard time connecting with others, which then led to a whole other era of dysfunction when it came to my, me trying to get into romantic relationships with women. Uh, but now becoming a dad, it was like one of those things where those thoughts came back of you can't be like your father. And then it was like, well, am I? And how do I be this way? Um, I don't know if I've gotten off topic there, but you're saying that really, it was a moment and it was one of those things where I felt like it was the first time I had ever really owned up to any sort of self-worth that I didn't know was there.
1: I think it's really important for everybody, for every kid, boy or girl, to find something to put that into, right? Like martial arts makes a lot of sense because you can sort of simulate um, in a safe, controlled environment, like where to put a lot of those feelings and have that instinct come out in a very competitive, like in a safe manner, right? For some people, it's yeah, exactly. I mean, no, hundred percent. I'm, like I'm reading yeah, this right. No one, no one yeah. listening going
0: to see that, but I'm reading no, Bruce yeah. Lee's uh, daughter's book about her father's fight um, philosophy.
1: It's funny you mentioned that because the Dao Jikundo, which is the book that Bruce wrote, was instrumental to my journey. And like I was lucky in the sense that I, because I, I was bullied as well, I was, I'm the youngest of four boys. I was like physically weak, like just thin, skinny, fat. Um, you know, no muscle, and my brother, my skinny brother, fat? skinny fat's a term for like the mesoendomorphic build, which is like thin arms, thin legs, but a little bit of a chubby belly. Oh, um, it's, it's a thing, and, I, and that was me. That was, you know, I didn't have the athletic inclination that my father, who was like a high school football star and a track star, and my brother, who was, I mean, just Ridic- like ridiculous genetics just carved from stone i never had that so for me i was a big nerd who played a lot of tabletop gaming and i found this one uh tabletop game called ninjas <laughs> i can't even say it without laughing ninjas and super spies that was uh basically the different character classes were different martial arts and like reading that i was like oh shit there was like there's more than just karate and taekwondo and i found a martial art that made it like sound like wow, I, I didn't I didn't have to be big and strong to be good at this. And I happened to find a school nearby. And training in that allowed me to slowly build my confidence and own that instinct I think you're talking about, Aaron. And so for Rory, for you, like what was was there a moment in your life, what was like that access point for you that like that had you going from like being a kid that was maybe, you know, skinny, not athletic, maybe not good at stuff. What was the thing that like helped you grow and helped you evolve into kind of like what you are now. If there was one thing.
2: Well, um, for, I I just, I had friends, uh, who were on the football team, my senior year in high school. Mm. And to, uh, to get on the football team, you had to run a mile in your shoulder pads in six minutes, I think, uh, and 30 seconds or something. And at the beginning of summer, before my senior year, I tried to run a mile, just, just to run it and I could on the track and I ran in like 8.45 or something. And you know, I was just out of shape. I had never done anything athletic before. And uh, someone I was friendly with through like AV club in high school, he was on the football team and had graduated and he, he ran with me uh, like almost every day he met me. So I, I saw myself kind of physically improving and the first day of, uh, football, uh, in August, I, I, I remember, I, I said to myself, I'm just going to stay on this guy in front of me, his, his, his tail and just follow him the whole way. Cause he told me he could do it. And I was like, as long as I stay with this dude, I'm going to make it. And, uh, I remember so vividly on the very fourth lap of the mile, him just like kind of taking off like the flash and leaving me in his dust. And, just running as fast as I could chasing after him. But anyway, um, I made, I I made the mile. And so I saw that I could set a goal without being athletic. I could run a mile in 630. And I'm not a runner. And um, I think that's where, Aaron, you know, you might not be into fighting or or that kind of thing. But I think I think it's good for every male to uh, exercise. I really do. I think a healthy body does lead to a healthy mind and whatever it is, whether it's weight training or running or yoga, but having some sort of goal and achieving it, I think's important. And I think you can take that into other aspects of your life. So I continued running and then I got into boxing too. I started a boxing club in college and then I trained for the tough man out of college. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I just, um, I just kind of stayed with it and, um, tried different forms of athletics. And, you know, uh, Aaron, you mentioned your dad uh, and not wanting to kind of associate yourself with that kind of violence. And in my experience in dealing with a lot of UFC fighters, I found that the deadliest people in the world are also the kindest people in the world, that you should never mistake kindness with weakness. And the, the best people I've met are, 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 are fun. They like to laugh. They like to joke. They're kind. They're, they're completely unassuming. Uh, they avoid fighting at all costs. And these are some of the baddest motherfuckers on the planet and they don't have to prove it to anyone. Um, so I just think, um, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I know you have some, some, you know, things from your past with your dad and everything, but I think, you know, for everybody, uh, Having something to do with fitness is a good one.
0: I will say this about that. And that's the other sort of watershed moment in my life that actually, if I did not go through this thing, I wouldn't be the guy I am today. Um, I went through a very bad breakup with a person that Eddie knows. I'm not gonna mention names. Um,
2: all you did that- Eddie's wife, Aaron.
1: No. Yes,
0: all that, all, all the drama of that is behind me. But
1: it- I, I, I really, I, I want to interject really quick because there's a fun thing here. Just like Aaron said, like he and I have discovered that we know all these same people. It's it's become a really ridiculous running joke in the last fifteen years. Is that like I'll be on a friend's Facebook page and I'll see Aaron comment. I'm like, Jesus Christ, how many <laughs> people does Aaron know? And then like when Aaron finally met my wife last year at Comic Con, she came down. We were at a, I think it was the National Geographic party, I think. Yes, uh, and like his wife is a dancer. My wife's a dancer. Like they both teach dance. Like they both like the similarities with our wives is a little (laughs) little eerie. Like it's, it's just, it's kind of crazy how it is kismet, how this whole thing happened.
0: Right. So I mentioned briefly uh, before about how all of that stuff, uh, messaging that I got as a kid led to this uh, separation anxiety and this lack of confidence, but this need to try to find connection and not really know how to, be in a positive romantic relationship with a woman because I wasn't, I had no example of that. And I had all of this stuff in my head that I didn't even know I had in my head. Um, And it took this really dysfunctional relationship I was in after a cavalcade of dysfunctional relationships to finally realize that I had been blaming every girl I had dated for being crazy and not really taken any of the responsibility myself, thinking I was also a part of it. And I recognized there was a pattern there. I decided at this very low point in my life that I needed to change it. I got into therapy. And one of the things the therapist said is I needed to start getting exercise. So. I I went through a completely big diet overhaul. Um, I started eating better. I learned how to cook. I now cook. I'm I'm a pretty good cook. I am not gonna, you know, toot my own horn or anything, but um and I started going to the gym. And when I started going to the gym at the very beginning, I had no idea what the fuck I was doing, and I was so self-conscious that I thought people were staring at me every time I went. And I, at one point, I don't even remember what day it was or what was going on in my head, but something snapped in me where I just was like, I don't, I don't, I don't fucking care anymore. I need to get better. And it became a, I'm not going to say it was like going to the iron paradise, like the rock has, but it became a a, kind of a religious thing for me where I had to do it every day. It was my. It was my outlet. At that time, I was in extreme debt and I lost my job and SAG went on strike. My agent passed away. It all happened in like a year. And I ended up moving back into my mom's house. I was in my early 30s. So that was weighing on my self-esteem. And it was just I had to put the blinders on and do what I had control over. And what I had control over was uh, pursuing you know going to movies and getting the the entertainment outlets that that bring me joy and exercising and suddenly i packed on like 40 pounds of muscle and uh you know i was i <laughs> i would be at the gym like twice a day um i, I i'm not that way anymore <laughs> but uh it, for a while there it was like suddenly just it the the it was profound to me how that changes your uh, internally and externally, my my brain. It felt like my brain changed. It felt like my perspective on life changed, and that was what that was one of the things that the therapist said to do. Because he pretty much said when I went in, he's like, "Well, you've made it this far without trying to kill yourself, so I'm not going to put you on drugs." And <laughs> then uh, he suggested change of diet, and because I I don't sleep well at night, and I have a lack of energy, I I went on certain herbal supplements, B12 and uh, 5-HTP to help uh, balance out my serotonin levels before going to bed. And then I would just work out every day. And it, it was just insane to me how that was so simplistic. Those things changed my life and set me on this path where my cousin, he says to this day, he's older than me. He was like, you were dealt a really bad hand growing up and I'm surprised at the man you became. And I told him, I'm like, if it wasn't for the therapy and, you know, really focusing on, on doing those things and going to the gym, I would have never thought that I would be that guy. It changed everything.
2: Well, you know, you bring up a, 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 to me, a classic dad trope is, you know, how do you not repeat the sins of your father? And I think it's probably something that a a lot of guys struggle with, you know. Uh, You know, I didn't grow up in what I would consider an ideal household, a lot of abuse. Um, And I saw myself repeating some of the patterns with my first son, you know, for instance, like spanking uh, out of anger, you know, like, and I saw myself kind of becoming my my father. And it was, uh, was not what I wanted to do, you know, and, and you know, uh, I, I made a conscious decision. Uh, I, think when my, I think when my son turned eight, that I, I just can't keep doing I, I this isn't the right, I, I didn't like the way I felt, you know, uh, of how I was acting. And um, so I, I stopped. But you know, therapy was very important uh, for me in that going to therapy but also you mentioned exercise. And I think one reason why I like it is because it's the one area of your life that you can control. And, you know, there's so much, especially now what's, what's going on in the world where you have no control. You know, if I told you, Hey, what's life going to look like in January, 2021, none of us can have any clue what it's going to look like. It could be insane. you know. Um, but you, you can control uh, if you work out the next day. And that's what I like about it. And, and I like the serotonin release that it gives me, and it's not necessarily just about cosmetics, but it's, I, I do believe that, you know, when you, when you feel good on the outside, you feel good on the inside too, sometimes, and it does have that effect. And and I'll say too, when I became a younger father, I have two boys, uh, you know, I've heard from different guys, oh, like, wait until you have kids, man, you know, you won't be going to the gym. But I think doing something's always better than doing nothing right So even now during covid even if you can't go to the gym if you can do anything and i mean like if you could just do push-ups in the morning mm-hmm. and like that's your thing like where you just do uh, some sets of push-ups that's still something and you can still set goals you can improve every day and it'll still give you kind of a sense of worth and purpose and i think it'll lead to other things you'll start with push-ups and you'll start doing something else and even if you just go on a jog every day, whatever it is of your thing. I think just, I think a lot of guys, you know, you fall in the trap. If I can't go to the gym, I'm just not going to do it.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that was sort of my experience is that I, it's funny you mentioned that because like I, I got back into shape for my kids. I got back into shape. You know, my father, um, my father died when I was 27 and um, he had, he kind of had a a rough hand dealt. Like he was, he did two tours in Vietnam. He was exposed to Agent Orange. She got, he was oh, part wow. of the class he was part of the class action lawsuit uh he got a settlement based on his exposure uh his service related disability rating was like two hundred and forty eight percent or something like that so like it it did a number on him and it, it he should he should still be alive now you know or at least like comfortably in his early eighties um so but and that also he also was the disabilities he had led to him being overweight, which led to heart disease and like, which didn't do him any favors. So for me, it's like, I have vivid memories of being eight years old and like being rushed to the hospital where my dad was getting emergency triple bypass. You know what I mean? So like those memories are ingrained in me. And so when I look at my kids and it's like when my oldest son, Grayson hit eight, uh, I was like, Oh, I was your age when I didn't know if my dad was going to die or not. Like that was, that to me was like, Cause I used to be a competitive athlete. I used to cut weight. I used to like, I used to hit 149 on the dot for jujitsu tournaments. I used to like, I always consider myself in good shape. And the, as we know is that if you let it slide, you still think of yourself as like that athlete. And then you, and then you get to the realization, it's like, Oh God, three flights of stairs. I want to die. Like, and then, so for me, there was a moment last year at my, uh, my youngest son's fifth birthday. And my other son was eight. And I just looked at myself, I'm like, I, I hate this. Like, I hate how I feel. I hate how I look. I hate, um, you know, I just hate this this road I'm on. And I just, uh, that combined with getting just the right, you know, ADHD prescription, uh, it allowed me to, you know, kind of, it empowered me to get back into shape. I dropped like 36 pounds and then I gained like six pounds of lean muscle and uh, started getting back towards like something resembling for me. I noticed, and it's funny you mentioned the, the temper thing, Rory, because you know, nobody who knows me, I think would associate me with having anything resembling a temper. But when my kids don't do stuff, I find this, you know, I find this, uh, pattern of like my father's temper coming out and myself simply repeating it. Cause it's the only thing I know. And for me, when I work out in the morning before they're up, it has to be in the morning because that puts me in a much better mood for the rest of the day. And I'm much less likely to repeat some of those ingrained patterns. I think all this is leading me to a question for you, which is like, how, you know, how, you know, we all have our own experiences or 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 different experiences with, with our parenting. Um, how conscious of those patterns are you? How, how, like the good and the bad, how do you find yourself like recognizing things that your parents did that you want to, you know, just like the Bruce Lee says, absorb what's useful, discard what's <clears throat> not. How do you take that approach to your own parenting taking what, work for you and your parents and doing your best to leave the other stuff aside?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, you know, I don't, I don't really have a relationship with my parents right now. Yeah. And I, I made that decision because I think as you get older, if you consider somebody like toxic in your life, okay. and whether they're doing something other people recognize or not, certain people just have an effect on you. And, and I made a decision that I want to be the healthiest person I can be, not just not just physically but you know mentally and emotionally, and I want to have a, a healthy household that's really important to me that my kids feel safe and that they they aren't surrounded by drama and you know I went through a, a high conflict divorce a couple of years ago, and that was. Really, really difficult for me because um, my whole thing was I did not want my kids to grow up like I grew up, which was in chaos. I felt like my childhood was very chaotic. You know, I didn't know what I was walking into when I went home, and it didn't feel like a safe place, uh, especially in the middle school and high school years. So I didn't want that. So I really, I had this feeling almost like I, I had failed my kids. And, um, it, it, you know, uh, you talk to anybody that's been divorced and it, it's one of the worst things you can go through in life. And, uh, you know, I, in some ways I feel, I, I've gone through deaths of, of people very close me. I think it's worse than death. Uh, I, I really don't know many things that were worse that I've experienced. Um, so, uh, Post divorce, I, I was so conscious of giving my kids uh, as healthy of an environment as I could. So what, what does that mean? It means like, you know, when I'm dating, I'm not going to bring girls around them, you know, that they're going to get my full attention. And, um, you know, my current uh, I, I'm engaged. I have a fiance.
1: Oh, congratulations. It. congratulations.
2: Thank you. Uh, you know, it's very important that she was healthy. Uh, and that we have a healthy relationship. That was my like number one mark and that she was mature and could um, provide kindness to my kids and a healthy environment. And, you know, Aaron, you had mentioned, like you said, oh, you know, you're struggling with the the masculinity of fatherhood and, and, you know, what, and then, you know, I I think this was before we went on the air, you know, Eddie, you were saying you didn't know how, hard to drop the hammer down on your son for, for not doing an assignment. And you know, the truth is like, all this stuff is pretty subjective. You know, you'll talk to one person. They'll say, Oh man, you got to be on your kids 24 seven. You'll talk to someone else and they'll say, "Ah, oh, man, you just got to let your kids make their own mistakes and they'll learn on their own. You don't want to be a hard ass. And part of the benefit of my job that I have, uh, being a director and producer is I get to meet really interesting people and successful people. And one of the people I met and got to work with was Archie Manning. And this is a guy who has produced, you know, three very successful uh, adult children, you know, Peyton, Eli, and then the third son, Cooper Manning, which to me was the most impressive one because he's the man you don't hear as much about. And you would think if there was anyone that could be kind of the dark uh, cloud of the family, you know, the black sheep, it would be Cooper. And it's just the opposite. He's very well adjusted. And I, when I was working on them, I really tried to study, well, what did this guy do? And I think there's just a couple of universal truths to being a father. And everything else is kind of up for grabs. It's very subjective. It's what you want to do. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you give your kids attention. That's a big one. You know, the... Yeah. You make sure you spend time with them and that you're present when you spend time with them, that you're not on your phone or you're not thinking about work, that you're actually into what they're doing. And another one's affection. You know, what adult says, man, my dad just hugged me too much. It was so annoying growing up. All he ever did was tell me he loved me. No, no adult says that ever. It's always the opposite. I never knew if my dad loved me, He never told me, blah, blah, blah. So I think of that and then. The third one is just affirmation, which I never re- really received as a kid, meaning that like your parents respect you and they don't have to agree with you. They don't have, but they recognize that you're your own person. You have your own opinions and that you matter and everything else, you know, whether you want to be hard on your kid with homework or whether you want to enroll your kid in sports or not, sports, I don't really think that stuff matters that much, you know, you yeah. just, but Archie Manning, to me, he did those three things really, really well. And that, you know, it's uh, if you're a sports fan, Archie Manning was uh, the quarterback in New Orleans. He was a big star back in the 70s. And what really struck me is that someone told me he was never the center of family. life. His kids were always the center of family life. They weren't like Archie's kids. He was always Peyton, Eli, Cooper's dad. Right. And that really struck me—that um, you know he he really cared about them and what they thought and what they did—and uh, you know they all I think you know the proof's in the pudding they've all turned out at least at least from all you know appearances pretty successful.
0: Yeah, it, you know you you ahead, mentioned uh, you mentioned sorry Eddie. Um, oh, you're good, you're good. You mentioned a few things there that I felt compelled to touch on. It first off, growing up in a in kind of a chaotic environment and having that in mind that you do not want your children to experience what you went through the other night my daughter was running around you know it was after dinner and she kept coming up and giving us a hug and it hit me she was 2 years old when i was 2 years old the environment i was growing up in was not loving and i was not in a situation or a position to express joy, like this girl was just expressing. And it, it, it was like a punch to the gut where I like, not only was I, I realized or or just not realizing, but recollecting a moment from my childhood, I was superimposing that to what my daughter was currently experiencing and realizing she's already living a better existence or a better upbringing than what I was handed. And then the second thing I am still struggling with this. I have a hard time telling my mother I love her. Mm. And I don't really know why. Uh, I, I've, I've struggled with this since my late teenage years. And I said I, uh, <laughs> the doctor said I hadn't tried to hurt myself. I did try to kill myself when I was 17 and it didn't work. And then a month later, I booked VR Troopers, my first big acting job. I went from having a knife to my, risk to playing a nerd on the popular children's show that was a spinoff of Power Rangers in 1994. It was a weird transition, but um, knowing that I grew up in this trauma and seeing how my grandmother would constantly put the blame on my mother for things. And then I would start to realize that I was, or not realize, but it would go through my head that I'm this wimpy kid because of you. And so I started projecting that onto my mom and pulling away from her. And I think that's when that started. And it just became like this defense mechanism where it's now I'm working on it. (laughs) Um, But it's one of those things where I never thought it was a big deal until, I don't know, the past decade where I'm like, I need to be able to tell my mother that she's my fucking mother. You know, I say that to my daughter and my wife. All the time. And my mom was here the other day and she commented on how great I am with my daughter. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? She's like, you're just so patient with her. And I remember growing up in an environment where patience was not an option on the table. And when my grandmother started um, going downhill and I had to take her to doctors and stuff, I think that was what, trained my brain to be patient in really difficult situations, watching my grandmother die before me, who was basically my other parent, um, I think sort of exercised that patience muscle that I never knew existed. And so I think that's a big part of it. Patience and being there in the moment. And yeah, you know, when I mentioned the masculinity thing earlier, growing up, I always thought that a man is this, a man is that, you know what I mean? Like the eighties, it was Rambo and Rocky Balboa and Hulk Hogan and all this stuff. And now I just, uh, th- that concept I, fully, I believe has changed. And when I said uh, what I said about going to the gym and feeling like I was being stared at, it was because I felt like I was pretending to be something I wasn't, because that was never an option or just a thing I even saw myself doing, going to the gym and working out. That's only what meathead muscle heads do. And I think it was in that moment that it started dawning on me that I was putting myself in a box that was, after years of being bullied and called specific names and categorized as such, that I realized that, you know, masculinity and the idea of being a man and being a responsible father and all of that, that's not something you can fit into just one box.
2: Yeah, I think a hundred percent. And, you know, I mentioned getting to work with different uh, people and I'm so appreciative of my job and I feel so grateful for it. But for mostly because I get to meet so many different kinds of people from different walks of life. And I think, you know, right now we're so divided as a country and it's almost like, you know, if you're in this political party, you don't talk to this person and, and you're this and you're that. And, I I find most people, unless they're like sociopaths or whatever, they're most people are pretty much the same. We're all the same. And people want to love and they want to be loved and they've had different experiences. And I think, uh, you know, social media separates us a lot, but I think when you meet people in person, they're, they're pretty, um, similar. And, you know, when you talked about, you know, you didn't want to fall into being a, a meathead or, or, or whatever. Um, and, and you know, categorize yourself as that. I, I mean, I get it. And I think it,
0: that's no, no, it was more so I didn't think I could be that because of the years of conditioning of being put into this one place. I thought yeah. I was being an imposter, you know, going into the gym.
2: Yeah. And I think it's easy, but I think like the, literally every single person alive should be working out. It doesn't matter what right. you're back. And, you know, it's easy Like I herniated a disc like two years ago and it just aggravated again. And Like, especially as you get over 40, it's so easy to kind of say like, ah, like that's it. My working out days are over. I'm hurt. (laughs) And I'm like, fuck that, man. Like I'll go swim. I'll do whatever I can do because I need that endorphin, that serotonin to me. So you tell me what I can do and I'll do it. If it's, I, I did yoga. I went to yoga classes, whatever it was. To kind of um, to get that out. And, um, you know, you mentioned to just changing the topic a little bit about uh, your mom and saying, I love you to your mom. And I don't want to get too heavy here, but it's if you can forgive your parents and it's not easy, you know, like I don't talk to my parents, but I've forgiven. them, And I've done that because I just didn't want to carry around that weight with me. You know, um, you know, I'll tell you when I was seven, I was molested, not, not by a family member, but by a neighbor. And, um, you know, I, I, harbored that for a long time. And, um, my, my, uh, mother said that never happened. I made it up. And then she said, but then she prefaced it. Well, if it did happen, you were really young. Like, well, you know, normally you're not molested when you're 25, oh. but, you know, but I tried to understand where she was coming from. And I think almost it looked at like it was a, an attack on her parenting that she would let something like that happen under her watch. And I think it, if you really dug down, it, it hurt her deeply uh, that that would happen to her child and, and saw it almost like she wasn't doing her job as a parent protecting her. So I tried to understand that. At the same time, I recognize I don't necessarily want that in my life. You know that kind of uh, total invalidation of your feelings or or your experiences of what happened. You know, like I'm telling you as an adult, this happened. It happened. I lived it as a child. You weren't there. I'm telling you, this is what happened. So, um, I, I felt like for me to be a better father, I, I had to not kind. I had to kind of separate from my own. Um, Family I had growing up. And I think it did make me a better father. I, I wasn't carrying around as much anger or resentment. And yeah. it's a hard thing to do. But, you know, if you have a relationship with your mom and if you can forgive her, you know, and believe me, it's a lot easier said than done. And it doesn't oh, necessarily, yeah. it doesn't I, necessarily I, I mean you say, oh, I, I forgive you, mom. But you can just kind of see, right. you know, I've heard your story of, you know, you had this crazy dad who was a biker and drug- If you could see it from her perspective, if she's trying to protect you, and she's not necessarily doing it the right way, you know, um, but it may be for you a little bit. I'm her, basically her
0: only family. So I see her very regularly and I've been helping her declutter her place. And that's also been a part of this whole trip because we've been digging up like stuff she's put in boxes like 30, 40 years ago. You know, I'm finding wedding albums of her and my dad and shit that I've never seen. It's it sort of brings things full circle. And it's it's sorry. It, uh, I'll just say this one more thing. Yeah. It's one of those things that I have constantly been struggling with in that. I need to just stop comparing my mom today who, to who my mom was when I was little and yeah. stop expecting her to be someone she isn't. Yeah. And that That's- is a daily challenge. <laughs>
1: um yeah uh so going kind of going in reverse order i i, I hear you there because like my mom was like my hero uh growing up my mom was in the military as well if you do a google image search for uh newsweek february 1980 you'll see my mom on the cover in her uniform holding an m16 with full camo face paint because they're doing an article on like women in the military she was like my idol and you know since my dad died i've been very protective of her but rory like you're saying a toxic presence. And, you know, I, I still have a relationship with my mom. It's ext- She does not make it easy. A lot of the times, we're still trying to reconcile that she's not in great health. Um, so I'm, I'm reconciling all those feelings. Um, more importantly, Roy, I want to thank you for talking about that. I, I think yeah. that's, um, incredibly brave to to talk about. I think men and survivors of abuse, we need to normalize experiences like that and talking about that and getting that out in the open. But it also like reminds me of like something that you know my wife and I talk a lot about. I have I have two boys and a daughter. My daughter is eighteen months. My boys are nine and six. Um, we talk a lot in this house about consent, and a lot of the f- discussions I have with my sons are around consent. If I see my son, uh, my my younger son beating up my older son, I we have discussions of consent. Like you don't get to do that to his body. Your body is yours. Nobody else, not me, not your mom, not nobody, gets to put hands on it um and likewise you don't get to put hands on anyone else because you're angry or because of a feeling uh i do my best to use language like hey can i give you a hug can i give you a kiss as opposed to like uh, give me a kiss you know what i mean like give me a hug like I, i'm very affectionate with my sons but i always try to code it in ways that they understand how as a, as a father to boys like what have your experiences been with talking about consent and protection of the body and, it's and, so funny. and just it's so funny
2: you bring that up, uh, Eddie, because my sons uh, go to overnight camp, which is like a uh, ch- child molester heaven, you know? I mean, overnight camp, it's like you're there with kids all summer. I'm like, this was my nightmare uh, thinking about uh, what could happen. And, and my youngest son went at seven years old so they were seven and 10 when they first went to overnight camp and I wanted to drill it into them about uh you know I, I was very paranoid that you know they could get sexually abused at camp and I was like you know I was trying to get them excited for the experience I was like oh man summer camp's going to be awesome you guys are going to have a great time and no matter what happens we're not going to let anyone touch our
1: peepees no matter what And you're like, yeah, of course. And I'm like, yeah. like the Tony Robbins of body safety. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, like, yeah, selling it to you. And I I was like, no, it's
2: weird because you would think a child molester would be this mean, scary guy, but they're not. They act like they're your friend, like your cool uncle or your camp counselor. And then they'll tell you weird things. Like if you say something, we'll murder your parents. But we're not going to get murdered. And no matter what happens, you never let anyone touch your pee-pee. I just kept saying this for like months. And when I dropped my kids off, I was saying goodbye to them, my youngest son. And I said, hey, and remember, no matter what, and what I was going to say is your dad loves you. And he goes, I know I'm not going to let anyone touch my pee-pee. So I was like, all right, cool. I did my job. He knows he's not going to let anyone touch his pee But you know, dude, that is, that is really difficult. I think you bring up a really good point because as parents, you want to protect your kids from any harm, any problem, anything. But the truth is, if you think about it, everyone goes through shit, everybody. Everyone has something they go through. And our kids are going to have stuff that they go through. And they're going to have things that they have to deal with in life. And through pain... you grow. You really only grow through pain and struggle. So the question is, are you helping your kids when that pain comes? Because it's going to come at some point, you know, whether it's a breakup or, you know, whether they're rejected through something or they get fired, whatever it is, it could be minor or it could be something major, the death of someone close to them. Are you preparing them for uh, how to deal with adversity? Um, and, and that's that's the struggle I think as as fathers because you can't you can't stop them from dealing with pain. It's gonna happen. Right.
1: It's it's like we 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 know they're gonna go through some shit. We just don't want them to go through the shit we went through.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm not gonna go into detail because honestly, I don't have a lot of memory of it. But something similar happened to me when I was about ten, mm-hmm. and I can. I can see I did some questionable things in my teenage years uh, because of what I I believe what happened to me started a certain destructive behavior. And uh, when I learned I was going to be a dad, one of the first thoughts through my head was, oh, my God, am I going to am I going to abuse my kid like that? That seriously was because you hear all about that. Usually the abusers were abused. And that that had me up at night. I was losing so much sleep about this because not only did I already have in my head, my dad was this garbage person and don't be like him. Then this thing happened to me and it wasn't a family member. And I've actually never talked about this except to my wife. So this is fun. Um, It was uh, a do you remember the Big Brothers Association? Mm
1: -hmm. It was
0: the sisters. Yeah. It was a guy from that and uh, it was, I, I only have bits and pieces of the memory of what happened, but like, I think about, I actually think about him and I think about that very regularly, especially now that I'm a parent. Um, I'm not necessarily sure if I have a question here. I'm well, wait, more so... Uh, I, have
2: a I have a question for you. Why, you seem like you had a, a lot of... Uh, you know, like you said earlier, you weren't dealt the best hand, but yet you seem like you turned out pretty well. Uh, you're introspective, you have, a, mm-hmm. you're married, you have a daughter, you have a career. Why would you yeah. say that you turned out pretty well adjusted for the most part? You probably say, oh, I'm not that well adjusted, but I think you, you seem like you have your shit together.
1: <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be doing this with you if you didn't have your shit uh- together, dude.
0: I learned, I learned how to bullshit very early in life. And that was Uh, something that was something one of my teachers told me. They gave me an A on a test and they asked me if I knew what I was talking about. I said, I honestly have no idea. I was just rewriting the question in like three paragraph answer. uh, And they said, and there were, and and it was at that point where I was like, okay, so like I, I'm, I feel like I, I, you know, I'm a thoughtful person. I understand how things work and I know How to communicate, but I think I used that uh, for a good portion of my late teenage or early to late teenage years to hide what was happening uh, in my life, and I was masking certain behavior. I did some illegal stuff. Uh, I I I became addicted to shoplifting from about the age of uh, fourteen until seventeen.
1: Uh <laughs> that's that's not that's uncommon. I I stole
0: your, I how stole how did
2: you go from your parents' basement though in your early thirties to being married with a daughter? Oh
0: you know, or, I feel like it's what I already talked about. I I had to come to grips with the fact that that I was that it starts with me. I was deflecting and blaming everyone else for my problems. I was blaming every girl in every failed relationship for my depression and for my frantic behavior, for the financial issues I was dealing with. I was blaming my mother because of the ways or the, the ways in which she did and the ways in which she did not deal with the trauma of my grandfather's death, of my grandmother's accident, of of being in this relationship with my dad and then parenting me through all of that. And instead of really instilling boundaries in me, buying me gifts when I felt bad, when I felt down, instead of teaching me, she would just buy me stuff to make me feel better. And so I grew up in this uh, in this like idea of that's how you feel better is you buy stuff. And that translated into some really destructive behavior. But all the while, I was pretty smart. You know, I, I graduated valedictorian on my senior class, but I never used those skills to the best of of what they could have been because I didn't believe in myself. And because I grew up with knowing where the ceiling was, mm. I always believed that that this is the best it's going to be, that I'm never going to be able to get above this limitation Of where our life has been the entire time growing up with my mother in very low income, food stamps, all that. I never believed I could rise above that until I went into therapy and took charge of how I was living my life. And it was that moment where I also decided I needed to create boundaries and set rules of how I can relate to other people. If you're going to be my friend or if I'm going to be in a romantic relationship with you or whatever, you can only go so far with me. I never had that because I never knew that that was a thing. I I would always bend over backwards for everyone because I would always equate my self-worth with with the people around me never realizing that even if they're super toxic it was better than being alone. That was always my thought process. So when I went into therapy and started working out and started dealing with everything that was piling up inside, you know, all of my issues, that was an empowering moment for me that shifted my entire life and my entire perspective. And that was when I started, you know, knowing that these are my limitations and these are my rules. And if you take advantage, you know, you're done. Yeah. And that changed everything.
1: Well,
2: I don't know
0: if that answers your question.
2: No, that's really, I, I was thinking, uh, hearing you talk about it, I could tell you a little bit of a story. A good, I think it's a pretty cool story about, <laughs> for me, in my life. And it kind of ties into my career a little bit, you know, uh, growing up like i you know i told you i felt uh, i always kind of just felt like i just did not fit into life I, that's mm-hmm. the best way i could describe it not fit into like middle school with the jocks or fit in with my i'm talking about in life i felt like i didn't fit in that i was always kind of you know for various reasons until i saw this show called beverly hills 9021
0: <laughs>
2: and i saw this guy character In I think I was in the eighth grade, Dylan McKay. Yeah. And I'm watching this dude and he's cool. He rides a motorcycle. He's got all the chicks. They're fighting over him. Brenda, Kelly, they all want him. And he always has the coolest thing to say at the right time. But he also uh, has demons and tragedy in his life. And he's always struggling to kind of do the right thing and, and be a good person. And he had the character has a lot of heart, you know. I don't know if you ever watched the show. Oh yeah, was, of
0: course. I was in the character. ninth grade. That was the one show everyone talked about. And, and,
2: and, there was a lot of depth to his character. It was a very well written and he character, and he was very. It was very well acted, and I, I I pretended like you know to watch the show. Like oh, you know, oh, I'll watch nine hundred two and oh, like with my friends that were girls in high school. You know, yeah, we'll watch this and party at five, but. Secretly, I really related to this character because yeah. he kind of had a heart of gold, but he was really cool, and you know, I I I, I really admired him. Well, um, you know, and I was devastated when he left the show. I was a freshman in college, and this was like, a, you know, a, a friend of mine dying. And granted, I didn't know that they, the actor Luke Perry. Well, fast forward ten years after that, I'm in my early 30s, I have a project going on, and I decide, you know what, I should see if I could get Luke Perry to narrate this. This is a guy I admired when I was younger. This would be a bucket list, and so lo and behold, it was a World War II project. He narrated it, and uh, I met him. He was awesome, and it, it went really well, and I thought, wow, that was a great experience. Well, about Nine months after that, I'm doing a project for ESPN. And the, the person uh, at the network says, hey, we could really use a narrator who was really big in like the early 90s, like pop culture-wise. And I say, well, what about Luke Perry? I just worked with this guy last year, and he was awesome. He's got a cool voice. And they're like, yeah, Luke Perry would be great. So they're like, go ahead, Rory, get a, see you get Luke Perry. So I saw him again. We worked together. And he's like, Hey man, I have an idea for a project, a documentary. You know, I don't know. Would you be interested in working again? I'm like, definitely didn't matter what it was. So we exchanged numbers and then at uh, Aaron and Eddie, a friendship blossomed. me and Luke Perry going back. <laughs> well, maybe phew, I guess we met in 2010 yeah. and, uh, we started working together. We did a, a short film together on Marge Schott, the Cincinnati Reds owner. Yeah, And uh, I spent time with Luke at his house. And I got to actually know the guy, Luke Perry, not Dylan McKay. And I remember one time he asked if I wanted to hang out with him. The first time we were gonna hang out non-work wise. And I said, yes, definitely. And he invited me over to his house and I'm like, this is gonna be awesome. I'm gonna go out in Hollywood, Luke Perry. We're gonna paint the town. It's gonna be great. And at 4.45 in the afternoon on a Friday, he came downstairs in his old man pajamas (laughs) with old man glasses on. And he's like, I'm like, what is going on? He's like, well, can we just hang out here and drink beers? And I was like, "Uh, yeah, I guess. And he's like, well, I'll let you ask me any question you want about 902. So anyway, I'm rambling a little bit, but we, we struck up a real genuine friendship. And we started hanging out. And every time I was in LA, we'd see each other. And we just really hit it off. And, and it turns out the guy, Luke Perry, was much cooler than Dylan McKay as a real person. Yeah. And then when I went through, I got my divorce, it, the friendship went to the next level because he went through a bad divorce. Yeah. And he wound up writing, a, uh, doing a deposition for me. About as oh, wow. a He invi- He wound up inviting my kids over to his house. He appeared on my son's YouTube show and we really hit it off as fathers more than anything because he, he had a son and daughter and he had been through this and he always prioritized them and he saw that I prioritized my kids and we, we hit it off kind of like the three of us are hitting it off, talking yeah. about it. and we would just talk about our kids and this guy would check in on me from the set of Riverdale, he would call me. Wow. And I would hear people in the background and he'd be like, how are your kids? What's going on? So uh, fast forward a couple more years. He said, "Yeah, I'm divorced. He said, I want to introduce you to somebody. I used to date her a couple of years ago, but she moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. I think you guys would really hit it off." And I was like, I'm down. If you like her, that would be cool. So um, uh, for whatever reason, I, I don't know why, but I, you know, I texted her. She didn't hit me back. And, and we never connected well you know i'm sure as you know luke passed away from a stroke yeah uh, uh, about two years ago and uh it was horrible uh, very shocking and um I-, I i'm about to go to his memorial and i get a text from this girl and she says hey luke mentioned um you uh many times and I'm in Charlotte and I was wondering if uh, you'd want to get together and, and talk about him at all. And uh, that was Michelle. And I said, yeah. And I said, are you going to his memorial in LA? And she said, yeah. So I was like, you want to go together? So we wound up riding together to his memorial and we've been together ever since. Oh, That's man. my current fiance. Wow. But I bring, <clears throat> I bring that up because uh, Luke and I love talking about being a dad. And he was one of the best dads that I've seen. Um, And he went through kind of a bad divorce and he was very concerned about, you know, the impact on his kids and everything, but his son is a professional wrestler uh, in this organization, AEW. Really? Jungle Boy. I didn't know that. that, Yeah. He's got a boy. He's amazing. He's so so good. Yeah. So, and, um, and his daughter, uh, they they speak so lovingly of him. Yeah. And I guess, um, and, and Luke didn't have the easiest childhood. And I, I learned a lot from him, but I learned again that, you know, there's no perfect handbook to being a father. And we would talk about this all the time. And he would just stress to me just be there for your kids, you know, be there, uh, give yeah. them affection, you know. And you look at his son now. You know, he's not living in his father's shadow. He's blazed his own trail. He's doing his own thing. He's not Luke Perry's son. He's Jungle Boy. He's his own thing. So, you know, my friend Luke really, he helped get me through that rough period in my childhood. And at the same time, I think he really made me uh, a better father. So I would say to you guys, you know, don't stress out about the small stuff so much. Do, Do what's in your wheelhouse that you feel is the right thing. And I think if you just stick to those couple of things where... You're showing your kids attention and affection and affirmation. Everything else will fall.
0: Yeah. You know, that's, that's pretty much it. And and we're going to be wrapping up the show in, in a minute. Cause I didn't realize how long we've been going, but I mean, just they've all gone so long because
1: the conversations are so good. It's, just, like, it's, it's crazy.
0: It was just like two days ago, you know, we're getting my daughter ready for bedtime. And I was talking to my wife about, just the the economy and being without a steady job and finances and being able to take care of our kid and how we're going to get a house and what's going on in the news. And she stopped me and she was like, we can only control what we can control right now. This is what is important in this room. And I realized I was like worrying about everything else. And there was a time and place for that, but that wasn't it. And it's in those moments that I have to bring myself back and be like, you just got to be present and mindful of being present. And uh, that's all like, I think that's all we can really do. And that's, that's the one thing that drives everything else. Well, well, loving your kid. And then, you know, you know, that's what drives everything else. I have one more question for you, Rory. Sure. How do we get Snoop Dogg on the show?
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> shoot your shot man <laughs> yeah. well not through me that's <laughs> ah! yeah.
0: i love your honesty i had yeah. to say it you've done two projects with the guy
1: i, I actually I, have, uh, what, one, I've, I have one quick question oh wow. projects okay. yeah yeah that's right cause you did a couple seasons of it because um so w- rory you and i met years ago when i just kind of cold DM'd you and asked you to be on my documentary panel at Comic-Con. I do this documentary filmmaker panel mm-hmm. at Comic-Con every year. And uh, I was a big fan of uh, I Hate Christian Leitner and, and a lot of your earlier work and stuff, and I knew you had other stuff coming out. Um, and, so, and so because of that, you... I come from doc filmmaking originally. You get to meet a lot of people. You've interviewed a lot of folks. Has there ever been someone that you've interviewed or followed in your career that wasn't a dad that you thought, man, that dude would be a great dad? <laughs>
2: That's a pretty good question. Um, no, more more so that this person shouldn't be a dad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm hit up by BB oh. right now. <laughs>
2: well then. Uh, no, I mean usually it, maybe it's somebody that's younger. Yeah. Uh, but you know, like with with Snoop, you know, to me the reason why we have a genuine friendship is there's trust, yeah. and he knows that I'm not gonna. You know, if somebody wants to talk to me, I'll talk to them about anything. But if they want to talk to Snoop, I say, you got to go through Snoop because, you know, I don't want to be yeah, that of brutal not. to him uh, because he trusts me. And, you know, the first series we did four different series. But the first thing we did was called Snoop and Son, which is about him and his son uh, for ESPN. And the reason why I think we hit it off so much is because Snoop was not getting paid for the show because his son was an amateur athlete and in high school. And if anyone got paid, it means his son would lose his athletic status to play in college. So all of his management, meaning Snoop, was completely removed from the show because no one was getting paid. So Snoop was doing this pretty much like this was the way that he could relate to his son, was mm-hmm. through sports. Mm-hmm. And if you watch the show, it was one of the best experiences I've had in my career. Um, You can see a lot of things that he does right and and wrong, that he's kind of almost living vicariously through his son, through sports, but he doesn't know another way. And this is kind of an interesting story. And I think it's why maybe Snoop and I hit it off is because he had never told his son he loved him. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I said, you know, almost in a way, Snoop was like a 1950s father, if you can believe it. Where it was kind of like I provide for the family. Right. I'm not around, but I provide, and that's my job. You know, you, you don't have to want for anything, and that was probably more than his father had done for him. His father, Eddie, actually fought in Vietnam. Snoop's father, and he. Re- I re- didn't know that. Yeah, I reconnected with him later in life. Yeah. So I said to Snoop, "Well, you got to tell your son you love him on camera," yeah. and I think he said, "I'm not doing that pussy shit," hmm. and I was like, "Well." You're going to do it because it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And I kept pushing him. I'm like, you got to do it. You got to do it. And he did. And he was so happy that he did that. Mm. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, I- I'm really glad you pushed me to do that. I think he called it soft ass shit, but I'm really <laughs> glad
0: you
2: to- pushed me to do it because, uh, you know, and I think he looked at that series as a way like to kind of reconnect with his family and and kind of be a more present father because through shoots, he was being a dad. So he had to show up and he had to do stuff. And so that was a really cool experience and kind of, you know, I think we formed a real genuine bond there, um, him uh, working on that show. And then we did some other things and he he was a really uh, great guy. I loved working with him Yeah, man. learned a lot from him. And I think, you know, he has a pretty good relationship with his son now. Well,
1: well that, listen.
0: that would be a great lead in into my introductory email to his
1: publicist. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, we've learned a lot from you, Rory. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, man. Really, really, really enjoyed the chat. Really appreciate the time.
0: Yeah, <laughs> man. Uh, I We were talking about this before we started recording, but it's, it's those uncomfortable, just like, the uncomfortable situations that you grow from that we were talking about physically, it's these uncomfortable conversations that I think are are necessary to have. Yes. That may not be the easiest things to talk you about.
2: Met, Aaron, you mentioned uh, Ric Flair, you know? Yeah. And the hardest you know, look, you meet Ric Flair, especially, you know, even now, what's he known? He's known for the jet flying, you know? Yeah. Limousine mm-hmm. riding, I mean, <laughs> fun. He's fun. He's what everything you love about wrestling, this vicarious lifestyle of, you know, just he lived it. And it's so cool. And when you're around him, you want to talk about it. The thing you don't want to talk about with him that feels uncomfortable is when he found his son dead in a hotel drug overdose. So I asked him, I had to ask him about that for the documentary. And that was pretty uncomfortable. And he has a lot of regrets about that. And again, it goes back to, he wasn't around. He was not around, you know, for his son. And I think, um, not to end on a downer here, but that, you know, uh, that was an uncomfortable topic to talk about, but I thought it was a poignant moment in the 30 for 30 where he talks about his son's death. Right. And I think that, you know, unlike Archie Manning, you know, Ric Flair made Rick Flair the, the center of the universe. And Archie Manning made his kids the center of the universe. And I think you know, um, you don't have to be a, a superstar or a wrestler to do that. You know, we all think of what we do is really important. And I think as dads, if we can just keep the, the focus on our kids and um, what they're interested in, and um, you know, everything else will work itself out. You know, don't be anxious about the economy, Aaron. Everything's gonna be fine. You just, you know, I want to, know. I have a question. Are you, uh, your, your daughter's too? Yeah. Are you getting laid again now? Finally, usually after wow. two. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm that. doing fine. Thanks for asking. <laughs> I would just like to say this is the dad word spiral. There are no real downers on the dad word spiral. Very We're true. already on a dad word trajectory. Rory. Hey. <laughs> this has been quite a great, insightful conversation. I'm curious if you can uh, tease or tell us if you have anything in the works and where people might be able to find you online if you want people to find you online.
2: <laughs> sure. Well, I'm still doing stuff at the UFC. Um, and I actually, uh, I'm getting more into the scripted world. So I have a couple of scripted projects in the works, but um, you know nothing that's coming out immediately. My website is Uh, Last name is spelled K-A-R-P-F. And I would encourage everyone to check out the Twitter of my dog. That I was, was gonna
0: say I your dog came t- in and visited when you were when you left the room earlier and
2: <laughs> we had to pause. Well, I run my dog's Twitter account, and there it's one go. of my joys of Twitter because I I find like more and more I'm hating Twitter with such a yeah. passion. Oh, oh tell me about it. There's such negativity. And the thing is, if you can sift through all that negativity, uh, you make really good connections on there. You can find some cool people. So, and there are some really fun accounts. And I think uh, my, my uh, dog's account, Dozer the Dog, uh, I believe it's Dozer underscore dog is his account. He tells you about his daily tribulations of being a dog. So I've been working a lot on that.
0: <laughs> nice. Yes, I have. I have seen some of the posts and I found it endearing and fun. And I've always wanted a dog. I've always wanted a bulldog. So uh, he came in and said hello. And I appreciate that. Um, Rory, thank you so much for this amazing episode. Um, yeah. This, this, We're at that time, Eddie. Uh, this, we're at the end of another episode of the dadward spiral and uh, everyone who has stuck with us throughout this over hour long episode. Thank you for listening to my voice. I mean, Eddie has a nice voice. Rory has a nice voice, but like <laughs> this thing, uh, like pivots oh, you got between
1: personality for days, it buddy. Pivots
2: between I, I, would this say, I would just say though, keep doing what you're doing because I think it's important, you know, um, keep, yeah keep talking about the stuff you're talking about. It's very, you know, the, the, the biggest downfall of podcasts that I find is they just, they don't last, you know, you lose momentum. You might do 10 episodes, 15, and it starts to trail, keep going, you know, because you're, you're never going to give up on your wealth and knowledge of, of dad's stuff. And I yeah. think you talking about the stuff that you talk about your childhood, um, your family, that's important stuff, you know? And I think it's, it's great that you put yourself out there like you do and uh, talk about things that are important. Like they're getting therapy or being intimidated, going to the gym or worrying if you're going to repeat your dad's, your mom's mistakes or whatever it is. These are all things that people need to talk about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. That
0: means a lot. Um, so yeah, this is the end of episode number
1: four. Wow. It's, in a month eddie we started this a month we, ago um we started yeah it seems it seems like we started yesterday but also like we've been working on this for a while too so time has no meaning when you're a dad in the dad word spiral time is a
0: flat circle once again i'm aaron pruner that's aaron flux on twitter aaron w pruner on facebook
1: and instagram and i'm eddie dody you can follow me at kirby.matrix at twitter and instagram and at zero dork 30 at twitch
0: and uh, if you want to follow Dadward Spiral on social media, I created a Facebook page. Um, there is a website, you know, if you want to go to dadwardspiral.com. Look, I'm a I'm a freelancing stay-at-home dad. It's hard for me to keep everything updated. So that website is kind of uh, in limbo currently, but the dadward spiral Twitter account and dadward spiral on Facebook, as well as DragonWagonradio.com. that's where our show is located and oh i almost forgot we have merchandise we I don't, do I don't that's right if anyone at all is interested in buying a shirt with an image of me falling in a spiral inside of a silhouette of my daughter but that artwork is out there there it and is it's pretty cool <laughs> my best friend from preschool who is still my best friend who is a graphic designer created the logo and artwork, and I would highly recommend it to go check it out. And if it's so, uh, uh you know, if you decide you need a new shirt or a mask for COVID or a coffee mug that may advertise this show, uh, Eddie and I would be uh, appreciative of that. That'd be nice. But I'm not pressuring you. I am. Okay, go to Dadward, Dadward, go to DragonWagonRadio.com, click on shop. You'll find the merchandise for all the other shows on the network, including ours. Give it a look see. Again, thanks to Rory Karf for joining us. I'm very aware of how I pronounce your last name, Rory. Um, I am super appreciative for you all going with us on this ride. And uh, please stay tuned because we have a lot more cool guests lined up for the coming months. This should be interesting until then be excellent to each other. Hey, this is Zen Zenith. Just sneaking in to say, check out the house show show with Zen Zenith. That's me on dragon wagon radio. The House Show Show is a live concert series featuring stripped-down performances and interviews with amazing singer-songwriters. Uh, we do the whole thing in front of a real live audience at a real live house and package the whole thing up into a podcast for you to experience in the ease of your home or car. Um, real intimate performances, real intimate conversations with great people. Check it out at TheHouseShowShow.com or on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else good podcasts are found. We'll see you there.
1: It's Dragon Wagon.